John chapter 4, verse 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Jump down to verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also the sons of his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Jump down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because the woman's testimony... That's a heavy verse right there. They believed in him because of her. Listen to me. Your friends are going to believe in him because of you. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay back with him, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, it's time to go through Samaria. Then you may be seated. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever received a text message on your phone from a, from a number that you didn't recognize? Has that ever happened to you? Right? And you, you get your phone, and you see it, and right away, like even myself, what I do is I have everybody, everybody's number kind of inputted and, and filled into my phone. So when people text me that I see them, like 925-408-5, I'm like, oh, I don't have you in my phone, so more than likely, like, eh, you know, I'll just, I'll look at it later if I have to. Or sometimes I'll notice and go, oh, wait, 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 I'm expecting something, so I have to look at it right away, and I'll check it out. But if we're honest, a lot of times when you first get a text and you don't recognize it, what do you do? No big deal. It's not a... Very big deal. When you don't recognize the number. When you don't recognize. So what happens is, because you don't recognize the number, you don't look at the message. My prayer here today is that you would recognize that God wants to talk to you, so don't put the message away. Know that God wants to speak to you. Know that God has been trying to share something with you that goes beyond the preacher behind the pulpit. He wants to talk to you. So you got to look at the message. Because when you look at the message, you can respond to the call. Look at your neighbor and say, respond to the call. Now let me set the stage here in this portion of scripture in the story that we see. What's very important is that Jesus is taking his disciples, but he's taking them down a road less traveled. He's taking them down a place where they don't normally go. Now this is very important because in the story that we see here, there is a great hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. So this is not a road that you go down, especially if you know that you're going to get hated upon or if you hate the people of the road that you're about to go down. Earlier this morning, I even saw on the news, I look at the news every morning, and I saw on the news the KKK was making a rally in Anaheim. Did you guys see that? Some of you probably didn't know that. Well, they made a rally there. 
And one of the guys, they, you know, getting interviewed, said, well, what did you expect? Because when they got there, there were protesters at the rally even before they showed up. And two people got stabbed. Just like that. But one of the persons that was getting interviewed even said, he said, well, hey, you know, what did they expect was going to happen? What did you think? People, of course, are going to hate on you. Well, think of it like this. The story that's happening was basically the KKK. Jesus was taking them down a road where, hey, you don't want to go over there. Somebody's going to die. We're not supposed to go over there. We hate them, and they hate us, and we like it like that. And we don't have to confront each other. I'll live in my community, you live in your community, and we're good to go. No big deal. The reason why Jesus taking him down this way was a big deal was because the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Now, I don't know how many of you Mexicans have ever been to Spain before, but when Mexicans go to Spain, they don't look at you like the Spanish you speak is proper. I've been to Spain once, and let's be very honest. They looked at me, and they were just like, that's just the way they did it. Matter of fact, do Mexicans talk Mexican? No, they speak Spanish, but they speak improper Spanish. That's just the way that they see it. Don't, don't, get, don't get mad at me. I'm not Spanish. I'm barely even Mexican. <laughs> don't get mad at me. But that's just the way that they see it. If you've ever traveled there, you would know that. That's just the way that they see it. No, 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 this is the way we are. So the disciples, they were Jews. Wait, 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 you want to take me down to where? No, 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 those are half-breeds. They don't even speak proper Jew. They don't speak the language we do. Their, their skin is, it's not pure. Their blood is not pure. That's very important. What was the nationality of Jesus' disciples? Jewish. They were Jewish. So here's Jesus saying, okay, Let's go down to this place, and let's go through this place. And we're going to go down here. So basically what was happening is that when Jesus said, let's go down here, it was about to go down. Like, oh, some bad ain't happening. There's only 12 of us, and there's a lot of them. Are you sure you want this to happen? Now, why was Jesus taking them through this road? Why did he take them down a pathway that was known to be where the disciples had already been educated to despise? Now, not just any place. He took them down to Sikhar. Somebody say Sikhar. Somebody tell your neighbor Sikhar. Now, it's very important. And what we see here, the reason, one of the reasons why Jesus was trying to take him down through Sikhar is because Christ, Jesus Christ, was trying to transfer the anointing to reach the world. That no matter where the disciples go, they would be able to preach the gospel to any race and to any color, to any background. See, Jesus knew that carnal hearts could look no higher than carnal results. He knew that carnal hearts could reach no higher and get no higher results than, than getting carnal results. Sikhar, in the book of Isaiah and also in the book of Habakkuk, this, this town is described as the town of drunkards or the town of liars. Sikhar was known for a town of drunkards or a town of liars. Now what's interesting is how the story takes a turn. As they go down here, Jesus begins to ask this woman to bring her husband to him. The woman then responds that she has no husband. 
So then Jesus gets technical with her and says, of course you have, you have no husband. You have five husbands. I'm pretty sure this was a town of drunkards and liars. That's what was happening here. She was a woman at the well. She said, I ain't got no husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. Whoa, 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 whoa. See, isn't it, isn't it kind of weird how sometimes when, when even in the church, things begin to happen and things begin to pry and we go, oh, oh, oh you're getting too personal here. All throughout the scriptures, you can see Jesus. He gets personal a lot of times. And so whenever you hear of people getting personal, you go, oh, you can't get personal. Well, actually, if we're going to be able to deal with the issues, you got to get personal. Jesus here, he says, listen, listen, let's get personal. Let's get beyond all the, hey, how you doing, how you feeling? Hey, how, how did work go yesterday? Look, let's get rid of the small talk and let's get right to the personal talk. See, every once in a while, you got to know something. If there's going to be a change in your life, we got to get past the small talk, and let's get to the personal talk. Let's get right to it. I, I know you don't want to talk about it. I know you don't want to go there. But every once in a while, listen, we need to get at the well, and we got to go there. Look at your neighbor and say, are you ready to go there with Jesus? Now, the story here. Show something that you and I must begin to understand if we are going to reach a hurting and dying world. If we are going to take this mission and this mandate around the world, then we must, must catch what Christ was trying to do with his disciples right here in Samaria. See, what Jesus was doing, he said, listen, we're going to go to California, but we go, before we go all throughout California, we need to go to Hayward. Before we go through all out Samaria, we got to go to Sikhar. See, Sikhar was just like Hayward. Matter of fact, I see all these different memes all over throughout Facebook. Matter of fact, somebody tagged me to one the other day, and they said when other people look at California, and it had a picture of, of the beach and real nice and the Golden Gate Bridge, and then it said right underneath it, it said, but when I think of California, I think of Hayward, and it had a ghetto graffiti picture right here, had somebody getting high on a, on a bus stop. I was like, man. That's cold. I love my city until I saw that picture. That's kind of how Sikhar was. Sikhar was the same thing. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, all around it's cool, but you don't want to go through there. You don't want to go there. No, 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 don't go to Oakland. You're going to get shot. I told you that story before, right? When I travel the world, I, that's what I tell people. I'm from San Francisco. So when I say San Francisco, they go, oh, San Francisco. Just the way that it is. And they go, oh, yeah, San Francisco. They go, Hayward, where's Hayward by? I go, right underneath Oakland. They go, oh, Oakland. You're, did you get any gunshots? Are you, are you okay? Man, it's not that bad. Like to the, but to the outside world, we're looked at differently. It's just the way that it is. See, some of you even right now, when we talked about going to Africa, some of you guys went, oh, Africa. Oh, that's, are, are you guys going to see zebras and lions out there? <laughs> Let's be honest. Why? Because that's how you think. 
That's what you see. What Christ was trying to do to his disciples is what I'm trying to share with you here this morning. Listen, my friend, you carry something important, but you got to get beyond what your eyes see. Get inside of your heart. Don't have the carnal heart. You got to have a heart of flesh, a heart of the anointing of God that you carry something powerful. Listen, my friend, we are going to Cape Town, but Cape Town is not the last stop that we're going to. We need to go to Russia. We got to go to Germany. We got to go to Japan. We got to go to China. There's cities all over the world that need what you and I have. But are you looking at it like, no, no, that's Samaria. We don't go over there. Oh, no, that's China. I can't afford that. See, if you look at it through the eyes of the flesh, the eyes of the carnal heart, it's going to be very difficult for you to transfer this anointing. What Jesus was trying to do here is he was trying to transfer something to preach the gospel anywhere and everywhere. There's three things that we see here that I want to share with you that Jesus was trying to apply to his disciples that I believe we need to catch here this morning. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Number one is that Jesus did what was necessary not convenient. He did what was necessary, not convenient. Listen, my friend, what Christ was trying to do here is that he understood he had a mindset. And wherever Jesus went, he never took the easy roads. Even in the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul, he did what was necessary to preach the gospel. He made the adjustments in order to preach the gospel. He did exactly what he needed to do to encourage those around him, even in the midst of persecution. Listen, my friend, we need to do what is necessary in order to preach this gospel. Now, if I were to talk to you about your job tomorrow, and some of you are already coming down with the sniffles, like, oh, I'm already getting sick. Aren't you going to do what's necessary to get to your job? You have to. Why? Because you got to make the money. i got to provide. And when you have the mindset that you understand that I need to do whatever it takes to preach this gospel, you Hey, I'll take some NyQuil. I'll take some DayQuil. I'll take any quill. Just give me a quill. We got to go. I got to get there. Something must be done. See, when you have that heart and you understand, you're going to do whatever it takes to preach this gospel. You don't care who's looking at you. You don't care about what's in the bank account. It doesn't matter to you. Why? Because you got to do whatever it takes to preach this gospel. Paul the apostle understood that he was thrown out of many towns. He was thrown out of many cities. He was beaten for the gospel. He was persecuted. He was spit on. He was shipwrecked. And still yet, he wanted to preach the gospel. He still wanted to preach the gospel. Listen, my friend, we cannot do business as usual. We cannot do business as usual. When I was in London in 1995, that was my first operation in London, I'll never forget. We were in an, an elevator there on the, uh, the, the subway. I, I can't remember the name of the, the, the two. I think it was just the tubes there in London. Uh, there in Piccadilly Circus. And I remember we were coming up. It was packed. I must have been about 15, 16 years old. I was a young kid. And we, the, the elevator was packed. There was like uh, about 20 of us in this elevator. And we were coming up from the bottom. And I'll never forget there was a guy who was drunk next to me. I had flyers. I was holding my, my, myself like this, and I had all these flyers, and everybody was around. I was at the very front of the, uh, the elevator, and I tried to give this guy a flyer. I was like, hey, here you go. I want to invite you. And he just looked at me with a stare, and he just stared at me. I looked at him. I was like, okay, well, you don't have to take it. It's no problem. As the elevator opened, I walked out, and as I walked out, I'll never forget, this guy grabbed my hooded sweater. I had a hood on. He grabbed my hooded sweater, and the next thing I know, I just saw his fist come right at my eye. Boom. Boom. 
socked me. I was like, whoa. I can't believe this guy just hit me, cut my eye and everything. Now, I remember I was holding my eye. I, I came up, and I remember when I looked up. Now, you have to remember this. We had a lot of people at the time that just got saved, so they were just learning the things of God. So the elevator was packed. I turned around, and when I looked and I turned around, I seen a lot of people uh, laying hands on him. Amen. <laughs> Put it like that. But really, I could barely see the guy's feet. Like, they were all over him. And they were like, what are you doing in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. What are you, praise the Lord. You know, they were praising the Lord, amen. But I'll never forget that. I got hit, and then a lot of people told me before, they said, man, would you go back? The guy came to the crusade, Nikki Cruz crusade, a couple of days later, and I was able to pray with him. Right there, I prayed with him. I was only 16 years old. I was just barely learning the principles of God. When I was in Indonesia, they had a gun. Uh, I didn't know. I was just learning. I seen the guy with a shotgun, but I was like, hey, it's a 7-Eleven. I can pass out flyers. It's no big deal. Passed out a flyer. The guy came up to me with a shotgun and you know, started t talking to me in Bahasa. Like, hey, we don't do that stuff here. Like, What's the big deal? It's just a flyer. Well, I didn't know that was the largest Muslim country in the world. They came up to me, the people that we were with, and they said, hey, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. They took me to the side and said, hey, you can't pass out flyers like that. They will throw you in jail, and you do not want to go to a jail here in Indonesia. They will throw away the key, and if you get killed, they will not give you a burial. They do not care about you. They don't care about you. And I was like, well, man. Well, right away, you would think, okay, well, I, I, that was my first day there. So you would think, well, I'm not preaching the gospel. Man, if I preach the gospel, they, they might throw me in jail. But we had one of the best revival weeks we've ever had in Indonesia. Kept preaching the gospel. Kept going after it, my friend. You got to understand, you got to hold on to this thing like never before. What God has given you is precious. And I know that you might get persecuted at times. I know you might get hit left. You might get hit right. But my friend, what you're carrying is very important. We used to have church there on Royal Avenue. Years ago, how many of you ever remember there at Royal Avenue off A Street? Well, well there, we had a, a kind of a, a grass area. And when I was about seven or eight years old, a lot of the kids, we didn't have playgrounds. There was no playground. All we had was a grass area and a flagpole in the middle. That was our play area. And my parents used to say, well, just, you know, make up whatever you guys want to do. So we used to make up a lot of things. We used to get these little pebbles from trees, and we'd say, let's see how close we can get to a driving-by car, you know, like, yeah. it's just dumb things that, believe me, we used to come up with. And so one time, I came up with a game. It was basically called Tackle the Guy, but it was just smear the guy. Let's just put it like that, all right? Smear the guy or girl. And all it is is you take a ball, and if you were... Growing up like I did, you didn't have a ball, so what'd you do? Get a piece of tape and just kind of tape it all around. Made it like a ball. So I was about seven or eight years old, and we used to play this game, just called Tackle the Guy. And all it was was this. We had grass area, and over here was cement, and over here was cement. You throw the ball up, and whoever catches it, tackle them. That's it. That's the name of the game, Tackle the Guy. 
And so what you have to do, though, is you got to get the ball, and you got to go over there, and you got to touch down. But you got 15 seconds to be in there, right? 15 seconds before you got to come out, and there's about maybe 10 of us. You know, we're 7, 8 years old. We're 10 kids, and we're like, all right, we're ready. We're ready. Let's do it. And, you know, we tackle the guy, and we'd have fun. Well, there was this one guy in particular that we used to throw the ball up, and guys would catch it, and, you know, we'd be out there, oh, yeah, you can't get me. Oh, well, we'd go over there. But one guy in particular, it never failed. We would throw it up, and whenever we threw it up, he would just, he'd back up over here, and he'd wait. Somebody would catch it. They would go tackle him, and they'd be like, yeah, all right, good job, guys, good job, guys, good job, guys. <laughs> After a while, we just kind of got a little upset, like, dude, you go tackle the guy. We're over here doing all the work, and you're doing nothing. They're like, come on, man, do something. So I'll never forget one time we were all talking. It was myself and Robert, a few of these guys. We were all coming together, and we said, okay, look, we're going to throw the ball up, but we're going to let this guy tackle whoever catches the ball by himself, nobody else. Nobody else. You, we'll just see him. So I remember we threw it up, and the guy caught it. And when the guy caught it, he went after the kid who was supposed to tackle him. And so he went after, he ran after him. Instead of running towards the touchdown, he ran after him. And we're like, tackle him. Tackle him, come on. You, do, get, you get him. Come on. And the kid was like, uh, 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 no. tackle him. Get in there. Get in there. And I'll never forget this. I'm not making this up. I'll never forget. We're like, come on, tackle him. He finally, it's like he got down and just grabbed the leg like this. It was just holding. And the other kids just kind of, you know, dragging him like this. Hold him. Get him. Get in there. You're like, do something. But he held on. And when he held on, the rest of us came in. And we got him. Listen to me. Some of you here today, I know you may think, well, I can't do it. I can't do much. No, my friend, just, just get the leg. Just get the bottom. The rest of us, will get in there. We'll, we'll, but we'll, we need some men. We need some women that are just going to hold on to this thing and grab a hold of this mandate and grab a hold of this mission and say, hey, listen, wherever we go, just hold on. Help is on the way. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise. Listen, my friend, not everything that God has you to do is going to be convenient. The Great Commission is not the Great Convenience Store. It's not the Great Convenience Store. Sometimes you're going to have to inconvenient your convenience. You and I have to understand that we need men and women who are willing to go through these distant roads. Number two, what Jesus is trying to share to his disciples is that he saw this woman as an open door to the world. He saw this woman as an open door to the world. In other words, it was the timing of God. The great coach, Newt Rockney said, the essence of football was blocking, tackling, and execution based on timing, rhythm, and deception. Based on timing, rhythm, and deception. Listen, if you think timing is not a big deal, Show up an hour late to work. Let's see if timing's not a big deal. Timing is a big deal. For those of you that are married, right, when people asked you after you got married, and you probably heard that question before, how did you know she was the one? Was it the right time? Did you know? And the majority of the time, you're just like, well, I just, well, no, I, I, I knew. 
you know, I knew. Now, some of you were drunk out of your mind before you really, yeah, she was the one. You know, you had to get sober before you really remembered. Like, oh, yeah, I'm married. That's right. But for those of us that understand when it comes to marriage, timing is a big deal. You have to understand, no, it's the right time. Is it the right time? What's, what's going on here? It was the right time. Jesus was taking his disciples down here because he felt it's the right time. I've been talking with them. I've been getting with them. No, 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 it's the right time now. Yeah, they may not be fully mature, but we're going to take them down this road to get them matured. It's the right time. And you cannot miss the window. When my father went to South Africa years ago, back in 2000, or I believe it was 99, 2000, it was the timing of God. When my father got back, all he talked about was Cape Town. All he ever talked about was Cape It was all Philippines for a while, but in the Philippines, he was like, okay, those guys are good. Cape Town now, Cape Town, Cape Town. And that's all, I believe if he was still alive today, there'd be another continent we'd be talking about right now. There'll be something else because it's the timing. It's knowing the right timing. Listen to me, Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay. What we're doing right now with shotgun, it's just the right timing. It's the right timing. It's getting, you got to get on the right place at the right time with the right people. And I'm telling you, this is the right mission. It's just the right timing. So for those of you that think, well, I don't have a lot to offer. I, I can't really speak very well. I don't trust very well. I don't know that much about the Bible. My friends, sometimes it's not about your righteousness. It's just about the right timing. It's just the right timing timing. Yesterday, I was with uh, my son. I, I, try, I try my best to help coach my son's baseball team right now. I'm, I'm kind of helping out here and there. And there's this, this kid on the team. He really can't catch that well. But I remember telling him, okay, you're going to go. We're going to throw this ball, and you're going to catch it on the run. Catch it on the run. Now, the kid can't even catch standing still. I know some of you might, oh, that's okay. That's why he's in minor A's. He's learning. He's learning. Don't get too soft on him. He'll never catch. So I said, okay, look, you just run. We're going to get it. So I knew in my mind, and I'm building him up. No, you're going to catch it. You're gonna, I'm not even telling him how. I'm not telling him the techniques. I'm not telling him nothing. I want to boost his confidence. And sometimes when you want to boost somebody's confidence, it's not about techniques. It's not about technicality. Just do it. Get out there. So I told him, I said, hey, just run, and you're going to catch it. Well, how am I going to? Just run, you're going to catch it. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, God, let me throw it right in his glove. Let me throw it right in his glove, because he has to learn how to catch. He's going to be running. He's going to be in the outfield. So I remember I, going out there, and I threw it. Now, if I'm honest, the first time, he didn't catch it. Ah, oh, but it's okay. I kept throwing. I told him, go again, run again. And finally, about the third or fourth time, he was running, and all he did was just stick up. That's all he did was stick up the glove. And matter of fact, I believe his eyes were closed. <laughs> and he's running. And he's... But I threw it perfectly. Oh, thank God. Perfectly. Bam, he caught it. He's like, hey, coach, I caught it. <laughs> yes, you did. You caught that thing. No, I didn't throw it exactly in your mid. You caught it. See, for those of us, we got to understand, we got to just do what God has called us to do. He'll, he's the perfect timer. He knows what, but you just got to step out in faith. Jesus knew with his disciples, he said, look, I can't baby these guys all the time. I can't keep them in Jerusalem. They can't stay here all the time. They got to get out. Tell your neighbor, sometimes you got to get out. 
See, when my father was, was doing this with the Philippines and with Cape Town, he understood the divine window of opportunity. With this woman at the well, it was a divine appointment. There's a divine appointment. Right now, coming up this week, we got a divine appointment with Cape Town, South Africa. We got a divine appointment. And listen, for some of you right now, we're saying, well, I'm not going to Cape Town. We need some divine prayers because one day, one day when another country opens up, there's going to be a divine appointment just for you the divine window of opportunity listen and even when we send we send our best and when you send your best it creates a culture for the world even within our church we've sent pastor will and dana aren't they one of our best and they're powerful powerful couple and the thing i love about them is that we told them just go to south africa we didn't tell them where we said just go to south africa so when they went, they went to Cape Town. Then from Cape Town, they told them, okay, no, we want you to go to Pretoria. Okay, let's go to Pretoria. Then it's like going from Hayward to Seattle. It's a long ways away. And those, those are actually two different cultures. Then from there, they said, okay, you're done with Pretoria. Go back to Cape Town. Now, if we're honest, they're like, man, all that moving in a short amount of time, they're like, oh, it's wear and tear. Come on, like I'm just getting used to the people here. Can't we just, no, no, no. When you send your best, they're ready to rock and roll. Where do we got to go? What's next? I got to do it. Take my family. Let's go. I'm going with my family. Let's do whatever God has called us to do. Pastor Christian and Bossy, they have been out there in the Philippines, I believe now for all going on 20 years. They're going to be going out there. Almost 20, I mean, I think it's like 18 years now, 17, 16 years, somewhere around there. They've been out there. Pastor Daryl and Gloria, they were out there in the Philippines for 20, he was out there, I know, for over 20 years. He's celebrated, just celebrated, right, 25 years? 24 years of salvation. Pastor Daryl just celebrated in Christ. When we send, we send our best. Why? Because it creates a culture, a powerful culture. Even who you just saw, Pastor Chucky and Chica Lopez. Pastor Chucky is right here from the heart of the bay. He is from Fremont, California. What good can come out of the hood of Fremont? Or where he was from, he calls it Freakmont. You hear his stories, man, they'll blow you away. But all of a sudden, God is just doing something. See, so for those of you that say, well, I don't have much to offer. I can't do much. Listen, if you heard the stories of Pastor Daryl, if you heard the stories of Pastor Will, uh, uh, Pastor Christian, Pastor Chucky, you would hear their stories and go, man, how in the world are you guys doing what you're supposed to be doing? You know why? Because one part of it is the perfect timing. They send them out at the right time, at the right moment, because I'm telling you, there is a ripe harvest that is ready for what God has called Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay, to do. Listen to me, we need leaders that are going to feed the window. Leaders that are going to feed the window. Can I hear an amen? amen? And the last part, number three, and I close with this. Number three of what Jesus was trying to do to his disciples, and I believe he's trying to do to us, is that he enlarged the heart of his disciples or his leaders. Enlarged the heart of his disciples or leaders. Listen to me. This is very vital to the growth of our ministry as it was to Jesus' ministry. Listen, you can never enlarge your capacity. You can never enlarge your ministry. You can never enlarge your tents. You can never enlarge your compass. You can never enlarge what it is that God has given to you until you enlarge your heart. 
until you enlarge your heart. I shared this story before. It's my favorite analogy of all time. It's my favorite one. Now, it's not my analogy. It's actually Pastor Patrick Roberts, his analogy. But the first time I heard it, I go, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm going to tell it to you right now. Pastor Patrick Roberts is a man who was a, a, a policeman there in Rotterdam. Or excuse me, Amsterdam, Netherlands. There in the Amsterdam, Netherlands. He was a policeman, got saved, did a, a, a turnaround within his life. When he got saved, his pastor sent him over here back in 1999 to Los Angeles, California. Now him and his wife and his two kids moved over here. Now remember, they're there in Europe, in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. And if you know anything about the Netherlands over there, there's a lot of countries all around there. Like, you can drive from San Diego to, you know, what's the top of California? I don't know. Let's just say Eureka or something, way up there. If you drive from San Diego to California, there, or excuse me, from San Diego to Eureka through California, over there in the Netherlands, you've already driven through seven countries. Seven countries also means seven cultures. And even within the cultures, is there not a subculture to the cultures? We have subcultures within our culture. So imagine this man. He's coming all the way from over there, living now in Los Angeles, Hollywood, California. He shows up. He's there. And one of the things about Europe, they have a lot of good food, a lot of different ethnic food, just powerful food, great food, love the food. He comes over here to Los Angeles. First day he's arrived. They're having breakfast. There's about 60 students from all over the world that are there, but the majority of them are from the United States. He's there having breakfast. He wakes up early in the morning, comes down, 8 o'clock in the morning, excited for breakfast. He's heard so much about the food of the United States. He's there. He sits down. The chef comes in, if you want to call him the chef. The cook comes in and says, okay, are you guys ready to eat? Right? There's 50, 60 students there. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Patrick who wasn't a pastor at the time, just a young man there, says, yeah, I'm ready to eat. I've heard so much about the food here. What's for breakfast? Oh, man, you're going to love it, Patrick. Oh, it's just, it's great, really good food. Okay, great. What is it? It's called chilequiles. Chilequiles. Sounds good. What's chilequiles? Well, chilequiles, what you do is you get these tortillas, and you kind of cut them up. And as you cut them up, inside underneath, you could put meat, different kinds of meat. We put some chicken here. And even there, you put the cheese on top, and you get a little bit of sour cream, all that. You're going to love it. He's like, mmm, a tortilla. All right, I like that. So he has the breakfast, really good. He loves it. Comes down for dinner that same day. He's excited about American food. All right, great. What's for dinner? Oh, Patrick, you're going to love it. Okay, great, man. I've heard so much about this American food. What is it? Tonight, we're going to have tacos. Okay, tacos. What's a taco? Well, a taco is a tortilla. You kind of wrap it and fold it up and put some meat inside and get a little bit of lettuce and cheese. You can put sour cream or guacamole. No, it's really, really good. You're going to love it. Okay, tacos. So he has the tacos that night. Loves it. It's great. Next morning. Comes down for breakfast again. He's like, man, hey, that was really good food yesterday. Ask the cook, what's for breakfast? Well, for breakfast today, you're going to love it. 
Sure, what is it? What, what, what's for breakfast today? Today, we're going to have tostadas. Okay, tostadas. What's a tostada? Well, tostadas, it's a, it's a tortilla. It's flat. You kind of fry it. And you put some beans. You get some meat. And you get some lettuce. And you get a little bit of cheese. It's really, really good. It's crispy. You're going to love it. Okay, so it's a tortilla. Flat. Okay, all right. He has a tostada. He loves it. He says, oh, man, this is great. Dinner that next day comes downstairs. Oh, man, so excited for dinner. What's going to happen? What are we going to have for dinner tonight? Oh, Patrick, you're going to love it. Okay, sure, what is it? Well, tonight for dinner, we're going to have chimichangas. <laughs> chimichanga. What's a chimichanga? Well, it's a tortilla. You wrap it up. You put some meat inside. You fry it. It's really, really good. You're gonna, oh, you're going to love it. And he's like, finally, he just kind of like, okay, chimichangas. If we weren't going to have chimichangas, what else are we going to have? Oh, no, you're going to love it. If we didn't have that, we were going to have burritos. <laughs> What's a burrito? Well, it's a tortilla. You kind of wrap it up. You put some meat inside, a little bit of lettuce. And <laughs> okay, if we didn't have burritos, what are we going to have? Oh, you know what? If we weren't going to have burritos, you're going to love this because it's a lot more. Okay, great. What is it? Nachos. What's nachos? Well, it's tortillas. You kind of cut them up, and you put some meat on top of it. Super nachos, you know, it's super good, right? And you're going <laughs> to. He's like, wait a second. You guys are giving me the same thing in a different way. It's the same exact thing. And Pastor Patrick then said, you know what? You Mexicans, you guys are creative. <laughs> you guys are giving me the same thing with a different name. And if, sometimes if we're honest, that's kind of how we are. We do the same thing. We just call it a different name. We do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. No, God's going to heal me. God's gonna, okay, are you sure he's going to heal you? Have you really been praying? No, other people have been praying, but, you know, God's going to heal me. <laughs> You're doing the same thing. You keep coming to church, coming to church, coming to church. The same old, same old. You just give it a different name. You just give it a different name. Listen to me. What Christ was trying to do to his disciples is he was trying to enlarge their hearts. He was trying to enlarge the way they see things, enlarge this way of doing things. Some of you right now, you got to enlarge your capacity. But before you enlarge your capacity, you got to enlarge your heart. Switch it up. Do something else. Something that you always hear from behind the pulpit, which we're always talking about. Witness to somebody at the grocery store. Let me ask you, have you ever witnessed to somebody at the grocery store? Or is it just something that the preacher says? Oh, that's a good, man, we should try that one day. That's a good thing. But some of you were like me when I, heard, when I first heard about fish. I was the same way. I was a young man. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I like my tacos. I like my burritos. No, 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 you should try fish. No, 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 like uh, anything that can poke and is too moist, like, uh, I don't like fish. First time I tried salmon, oh my gosh, love it, so good. I could honestly have salmon for breakfast, and like, I really could, I love it, especially when you kind of barbecue it, oh my, thank you Jesus, it's so good. But if you were to ask the 17-year-old me about salmon and give me the whole ingredient, oh no, it tastes good barbecue, I'd still be like, no. Nah. Because I hadn't enlarged myself yet. I hadn't thought about it yet. 
See, that's why some of you, when we talk about Cape Town, you're like, oh, that's good. It's good for you, but not for me. Oh, no, you go, reach, reach somebody in another city? No, like, no, 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 I'm, I'm just good right here. I'm, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. See, what Christ was trying to do to his disciples is he was trying to take them down the road less traveled. They'd never been down here. And even if they ever went down there, they hated the people that they were going down that road to see. He took them down this road on purpose. He wanted them to see that, listen, if we are going to preach the gospel, you are going to preach the gospel to people who do not have the same color of skin that you do. Can you still do it? You're going to preach the gospel to people who don't even speak your language. Can you still do it? You're going to preach the gospel to people that don't have the same beliefs as you do. Can you still do it? Can you still love on them? Can you still pray for them? Can you still encourage them? Can you still be there for them? Can you still bless them? Can you still preach the gospel? Even with people that you don't get along with, can you take this anointing and give it to them? Can you still do that? Listen to me. I know some of you here today, they come, and one thing I truly love about our church is that we have a lot of people here. You don't speak English properly the way that we would speak it, or I should really say American, because we don't even speak English. We speak American. Go to England. They'll tell you that. You don't speak English. You're American. He's not American right there. Cheerio. So I love about our churches, and I know some of you here, you come to our church and you don't speak American that we, the way that we do. And so right away you can say, well, there's a language barrier. I, I, I got to go to somewhere else. But yet you still come here. Amen. And I love that. Yeah. I think it's great. And as a pastor, believe me, I, I really want to learn the language of Bahasa. I want to learn Tagalog. I want to learn Spanish. I want to learn Afrikaans. And even within those different uh, languages, there's different dialects. There's different dialects. Even if we talk about Spanish, is there one dialect of Spanish? Nah, don't say that to a Puerto Rican. Ah, Dang. Even the Chileans, when they speak Spanish, it's almost like a Chileans. This is the way they talk. Oh my gosh. They still speak Spanish, though. Different dialects. So I understand that. I get that. And I want to do my best to preach the gospel. Look at, I'm not trying to uh, share the language just so I can look good. I'm not trying to share the language just so we can show how awesome our church is. I'm trying to speak the language so that I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do whatever I can for that. Why? Because I have a mandate. It's a conviction. See, listen to me as they come to the piano. You and I have to understand something. This needs to be a conviction inside of you. Because you know what conviction does? This is very important. Conviction will uncomfort your comforts. And you know what conviction also does? Conviction makes sure that you don't become a professional Christian. Conviction will make sure that you don't become a professional Christian. That it doesn't become, well, I go to church, therefore I am a Christian. I wear a tie, therefore I am a Christian. I dress nice up on Sundays, therefore I am a Christian. Listen, my friend, you can walk into your garage, don't make you a car. You can walk into this church, don't make you a Christian. What Jesus was trying to get to his disciples, he said, listen to me. 
if you really truly want to be my disciple, then preach to the unpreachable. Love the unlovable. Bring hope to the hopeless. Can you do that? Because if you can, then you could say you are my disciple. Then you can say that. But outside of that, you better make sure. You better be careful. Don't be like that one kid is like, hey, at least I'm on the field. Yeah, but everybody else is making the tackles. Everybody else is doing this. What are you doing? You're just kind of high-fiving at the victory parade. But it's a totally different conviction when you actually get in there. You got some, some scars. Listen to me. There's a lot of people here in our church that you will never hear their name. Well, I don't want to say never, but every so often you'll hear their name. And you would think, well, they're not even in the game. No, we got a lot of people in this church. They're in the game. You just don't hear their names. Even just earlier, I was talking to Joe and Cecilia Mays. Every once in a while, you're here, you'll hear their name. But man, Joe, this, pff, man. Oh, I, we were talking about his testimony. I said, just keep your testimony quiet, bro. <laughs> keep it quiet. It's crazy. You wouldn't think it when you saw him. But you know what's more powerful than me? It's not the testimony that he had before Christ. It was a testimony that he has in Christ. You know how faithful this man has been to our church? Not just to our church, but to giving to people, helping people out. That goes beyond the borders of what we see in this wall. I mean, just powerful. Now, he may not travel all over the world, but I guarantee you he has helped people travel all over the world. He has. No, he don't say that. He didn't even ask me to say this, but I know that. I know. I don't know if he knows that I know, but now you know that I know, so therefore we both know that we know. <laughs> but you probably knew that. Listen, I want to challenge you. This is what Jesus did to his disciples. He never left them just in Jerusalem and said, just be good for goodness sake right there where you're at. He said, no, every once in a while you got to get out of your comfort zone. Get out of there. We're going to take this mandate all over the world. This is not a world vision so we can have a nice video on a screen. Maybe other ministries might do that or other church. We don't do that. We want to make sure that we're practicing what we preach. Matter of fact, I like the way Pastor Tony Kemp gave it. He says, as a preacher, as a teacher, you're the student. You got to audit me, right? I love that. You got to audit me. Am I practicing what I preach? Last week I talked about giving. Am I practicing that? This week I'm talking about evangelism. Am I practicing that? You got to audit me. Well, in the same way you audit me, I want you to go in the mirror and audit that person. Audit him. Audit her. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Not perfection. Listen to me. Because I know many of you are thinking, well, I have to be this much learned in the things of God. I have to be this much. No, 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 no. Just have to have a heart after God and share that heart. If you're on the barn station and you feel God compelling you, talk to that person, pray for her. Then I would challenge you. Turn to her. You never met her. Can I pray for you? Simple as that. Simple as that. See, we, we think it's, it's deeper than that. And it's not. It's not deeper than that. It's just show up at the well and see who shows up. That's it. Show up at the well and see who shows up. Some of you do that five days a week. Some of you six days a week. It's called work. Show up to your work and see who shows up. And who, can, you can, who that you can spread the gospel with.
share the love with. Your kindness will bring them to repentance, the Bible says. Share that with them. Be that with them. Let them know the love of Christ all over the world and here in our sick car. Can I hear an amen? amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise here this afternoon. Stand with me here today.